0: This is Andrew. This is Tracy. And today on Generally Speaking, we will have Dr. Tate. Dr. Tate is a new physician in our our area, in Port Berry, and specializing in family medicine, so we're looking forward to sitting down with her and having a conversation with her.
1: Yep, it's going to be a great talk. Um, We have a couple things going on uh, right now. We just wanted to give you an update on, but first... If you want to give us an update on something, you have a great idea, you have a question, you have a comment, you have a great topic that you think we should talk about, now you can email us. Our email address is generally speaking at opaloosasgeneral.com. And that goes to myself and it goes to Andrew. So we'll be able to have a conversation with you and maybe flesh out some great ideas that you might have. So if you get a chance, shoot us an email and let us know what you think. And again, it's generally speaking at opelousasgeneral.com. And we'll also have that in the show notes.
0: Also, for those of you that are not aware, Opelousas General is now performing low-dose CT lung screens. Uh If you know someone that's between the age of 55 and 74 and currently smoking or have quit smoking the past 15 years and averaged at least one pack a day for 30 years and have no symptoms or signs of lung cancer, this is a very non-invasive way to really see what's going on with someone's uh, health with their lungs and are they at risk for for lung cancer. I know Dr. Blanco is one of our physicians who, uh, if you've never met him, great doctor, can't say enough good things about him, but uh, something that he believes really, really uh, strongly in uh, for the Medicare audience out there. There's no deductible or copay or a physician order required. So if you know someone who falls into that criteria, this might be worth uh, checking out for. So for scheduling or more information, please call Opelousa's General Health Systems Medical Imaging Department at 337-948-5127. And now, back to Tracy.
1: Back to me, so um, a fun thing coming up again. I know you guys love when we have our masquerade jewelry shows. woo they're fun. There's great stuff, jewelry and other things. Everything is $5. So our next one will be at South Campus in um, our conference room right across from Centre de la Vie. And the dates are Thursday, April 18th, and Friday, April 19th. Um, Thursday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Friday, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And uh, we love when Masquerade comes. They are great partners with the foundation, and um, proceeds do benefit the foundation. So we appreciate your support um, when Masquerade comes to town.
2: Opelousa's General Health System has recently upgraded the Da Vinci Robotic Surgical System. This state-of-the-art technology is designed to further advance minimally invasive surgical procedures. The DaVinci XI allows surgeons to perform procedures through a very small incision, roughly the size of a dime, with unmatched precision. The most common procedures using the DaVinci XI robotic technology include general surgery, gynecologic and urology procedures, including prostatectomy. Opelousas General Health System is committed to providing comprehensive quality health care services to improve and sustain the health of residents of St. Landry Parish and surrounding communities. To learn more about our surgical robotic technology at Opelousas General Health System, visit OpelousasGeneral.com.
0: Next, our interview with Dr. Eliza Tate. Welcome back to the generally speaking podcast. With us now is Dr. Eliza Tate. Thank you for being here today. We were
1: laughing way too much before we started this <laughs> and talking about what we were going to be talking about. And um, we wanted to really introduce you to the community, but also just give you a chance to kind of talk about why you came why you came back and what your story is. So can you tell us a little bit about your practice and where you are?
3: Yeah, um so we're at the Fort Erie Family Clinic, um, in Fort Erie, um uh, right behind the shop right it's where we're located. Um got a new sign and nice shiny new signs. So there with Dr. Fandle who's been there for years and um so just getting started there and enjoying being home. Um the dream was always to come home and, you know, serve the community mm-hmm. and about education and so that's what we did and got our roots there, got our family there and that's fun. Here for, here for good. So, when,
1: um, so speaking of the finally, how long
3: have you been gone? Tell us a little bit about your, your journey to getting back home. Well, um graduated from Port Berry High School in 2005. Oh my, that tells you how old I am. I went to Eunice for two and a half years to LSUE and then um, had the decision either to go to Baton Rouge or somewhere else and um, ended up in Alexandria at LSU. Eight and graduated there with a bachelor's degree, and then I went to work for a year because I had no car. My car died. Okay, so that was important. (laughs) Yeah. So we went to we went to work for a year at LAC in Lafayette. What did you do there? I was a service rep. I drove to Morgan City twice a day every day. Mm, (laughs) Did you
0: did you service like the doctors' offices that were yes in
3: the hospital
0: and troubleshooting if they had a problem or if they didn't get a receipt right. That was kind of my first, uh, my first job in it with hosp- with a, a hospital was actually uh, selling le- outreach laboratory services. Right. So I, yeah. I completely know that you, there's some days that you just the calls you got were no, non-stop. Oh yeah. So so it,
3: yeah it was um, it was a good job. I worked for a year and saved up every penny I earned and then bought a car so I could go. To that. So that was. Um, Went to Shreveport for medical school and four years there, three years back in Alexandria for a residency, and mm-hmm. then, um, so, yeah, we left a lot of rubber on I-49 in the yeah. last few years. That's what it sounds and, like. And, um, back home finally.
0: But you are a family practice, uh, physician. What steered you towards family practice?
3: When I first went to medical school, when you, I guess most people when they first go to medical school don't know exactly what they want to do. Um, I would say that's maybe a generalization but um you take classes and and you take rotations and and you kind of feel out what you like and what you don't but i guess i, I always wanted to be a, a primary care physician mm-hmm. um because i pictured myself being the patient's go-to person like i want to be who when you say my doctor is so and so you don't necessarily say that when you're talking about your rheumatologist or your eye doctor or whatever. You say that about your primary care doctor, your family doctor, or possibly mm-hmm. internal medicine, you know. Um, So that's that's what I always pictured myself doing. I didn't know that's what it was when I went to medical school. I, I found out while I was there. And I really just could not decide if I liked pediatrics better or if I liked geriatrics better. So I decided to do both. <laughs> so that's why I'm in family medicine. I just like the idea of being, being thought of as the patient's doctor. Like, that's my doctor. That's you own. That. And, yeah. No. Um, I want to know what nursing home grandma is in, and I want to be the one who rounds on them there, and I want to be the one who knows your Yorkie's name and all your children's names, and you know, like, I want to be that doctor. Yeah. So that's I think that's what what pushed me in that direction for family medicine. So yeah, so you've been um,
1: like really well acquainted with R forty nine and traveling mm-hmm. a bunch and. Um going to different parts of the state, and I think we we just recorded part the the beginning of another episode, and we were talking about our scholarship program and um you know, for the foundation scholarship, it has to be you know we only do scholarships for certain schools, and it's basically the ones that are here, and l s u e is one of them but I think it's when you were saying what your journey was, I think that that's I feel like every graduating senior needs to hear that. Because I think they have in their mind it has to happen a certain way okay. <laughs> and and it definitely doesn't, mm-hmm. and I think that it's um it's I like that you described every you know everywhere that you went that you stayed in Louisiana, but that um it it's not just you go to this one school and it happens this way no. that it can be a very winding path but and and the fact that you did decided
3: that you wanted to come back home. And serve the people that you know in the community that you came from. Yeah, a lot of people think that if you if you have a a public school education, to start with that you're at some kind of disadvantage. But it's been my experience that you get what you make of it. You go to school and you you do the best that you can, and your teachers have that knowledge, and you you take it from them. That's mm-hmm. what you're there for, and you can get that anywhere. I was the only um, I was the only person in my in my class at um, Shreveport Medical School. Who graduated from LSUA. So um, I don't think it's maybe not not the most common road to take. It worked for me.
0: Those that we have that are listening to the podcast right now and maybe getting to know you a little better and learning about you, uh, if someone's looking for a... Primary care physician. How would they go about establishing with you? I mean, do you have? Does your practice have openings right now? Yes,
3: definitely. Okay. We're accepting all insurances. We're accepting new patients. Uh, Medicaid included, um, Medicare, all of those. So, um, basically, you call the the office number. The clinic number is five eight five seven eight nine eight. And um, the ladies will take down your information. They call it a write up. Mm-hmm. They they write down your insurance information, your history, and all of those things, and um, they put it
0: on my desk to okay it, and they call you back with an phone. Yeah. And the address of your practice, along with that phone number, is seventeen six ninety five Highway one ninety, uh, located in Port Barry, Louisiana. From a practitioner's point of view, what what can be your, I guess, biggest frustration when you know you have a patient where they need to do A, B, and C, and they're just not being compliant? Like from a, from a doctor's point of view, how do you help that? that person improve their 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 quality of life
3: <laughs> well um in medical terms we call it motivational interviewing so um this is something that some doctors are really good at and some are not just like anything mm-hmm. but honestly it starts with listening which i think is a lost art, or at least forever um so it starts with listening to the patient and you, you just have to let them talk and you find out so much information, and you just push mm-hmm. and let them talk. A lot of times, compliance comes down to not that the patient is not willing to do what you want them to, but that there's some reason that they can't. They have problems with getting to their appointments. They have problems with affording the medication that you're mm-hmm. prescribing. They have maybe they have memory problems that they're not really wanting to admit to, so they're forgetting to take their medicine. You know, maybe they have an addiction that's getting in the way of, of compliance. So it really, it comes down to each, you just can't have the attitude that, oh, this patient is non-compliant and they're hopeless. You, you really have to listen and try to figure out why are they non-compliant. There's a reason. And it's not always, it's not always just a stubbornness. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is. But, you know, usually there's, there's something there that underlying that you can figure out a better way to help. Well, and
1: I think, so that goes back, and that's why I said that earlier. I think when when you were talking earlier, you, you really care about the patient and the whole family aspect. So that's where the listening comes in. And before you even said it, I was thinking, you know, that happens a lot. Yep, they might have a follow-up or they need to go, you know, to do this lab work or take this test or do something. But if you don't know that transportation is a huge um, barrier to their care – then you can't you can't go and help them kind of figure that out, whereas if you know, then you can make um different arrangements or offer other resources and I think that that's really, really important, especially in our our community, being aware of what those barriers to care are for a lot of your patients, but also being aware and being able to help with you know small tweets that can make a really big difference
3: in them being compliant and be being able to get the care that they need. The first step is always just building a relationship so where the patient it feels that they can talk to you about something. If they feel, you know, that they're not they don't trust you enough to admit that well, the Spireba cost costs me seventy eight dollars a month and I just can't afford that. People are not gonna be comfortable telling just anyone that they can't afford something to trust you first. And so some that takes time, but um
0: but that's it's it's just really listen. What else do you want people to know about uh potentially about the experience of being at your practice, what they can expect um, just for the, because you say, you know, you want to be the overall practitioner for, for their care kind of from A to Z, but out the listening. And again, that, that was so awesome and refreshing to hear, to hear you say, um, what else do you want them to know about you? If they were to, if someone to wanted to be uh, your patient?
3: Well, our goal, our goal is to treat everybody like family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's family practice. That's what we are with our family. So we want to care about everybody, like as if you were my grandfather or my niece or whatever. So, you're, you know, everybody's
0: important. With you seeing obviously younger kids in your practice, you know, how, what, what is your stance on uh, getting kids vaccinated?
3: Well, my children got all their vaccinations. So, of course, I don't advocate anything that I don't do for my own kids um i believe that vaccination is important um there's something called herd immunity which you know it it sounds terribly say herd but we're not cattle but in general what we're trying to do is is have the most people in the population immune to a problem mm-hmm. right, measles mumps or lubella, um as we can and the 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 higher percentage that are immune the less likely that we're going to have a, an epidemic so that's just numbers um but in a personal way, I don't want my child to get measles or mumps, mm-hmm. which is why I vaccinate them. Um, unfortunately, in my practice right now, we don't have enough of the pediatric population to actually carry the vaccines, but I'm seeing that that's more of an issue, becoming a bigger issue. Um, a lot of the primary care providers are not carrying the vaccines in house and they're sending either to the pharmacy or to the health unit to get them. That's another, it's just, it's really a cost thing, I think. But in general, yes, I think that vaccination is very important. And in specific, the flu vaccine is one of my pet peeves that people always say, oh, I don't get the flu vaccine because I I always get the flu when I get the flu vaccine, which um, in some cases is just a, it's just a coincidence. Um, it takes the flu vaccine about two weeks to um, to actually protect you from mm-hmm. the virus. So in some cases, you could get the flu vaccine one day and be exposed two days later. And yes, you could contract the flu. However, what we know is that every year that you get the flu vaccine, your immunity builds. So it's kind of like giving your immune system a cheat sheet to the virus. Mm -hmm. And um, we we make an educated guess every year what what strains of the virus to actually put in that vaccine. So like I said, it's statistics and sometimes we miss one. We miss one that ends up being prevalent during that flu season. And so we'll get... A higher number of patients who've gotten the vaccine that will actually catch the flu. Well, what we know is that um, they're very similar. All of the strains are very similar in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So whether or not, whether or not we got every single one in the vaccine, your, your body has still got a head start on protecting you from that virus. And so it decreases your chance of getting a terrible um, outcome from the flu, even if you catch it, you've been vaccinated and you have been vaccinated for several years in a row, your chances of ending up in the ICU on a ventilator because you have the flu are small.
0: Well, Dr. Tate, thank you very much for being with us today. It was a pleasure to to see you again, and it was even uh, better to hear about you and your practice. And uh, hopefully, you'll come back and see us again.
1: And if you are looking. To establish or have questions, uh, you can contact uh, Dr. Tate. Her office number is 337-585-7898, and she is accepting new patients. Um, So uh, the information will also be available in our show notes.
3: Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you.